music sounds good as ever. Maybe you can hear it a little clearer now, but that's good. Thank you, Jeff, and the musicians. And uh, it's good to see you here this morning in the uh, early service. And you lost an hour of sleep, too. How about that? Yeah. Faithful crowd, you're going to get an extra star in your crown. You were here on the early service, okay? Well, I want us to spend our time this morning for just a few minutes and think about a passage in Daniel chapter 6. So if you want to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 6, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Daniel. And I want us to think for just a few minutes together this morning about serving the Lord. The Bible teaches us that when God saved us, He saved us uh, for many reasons, but one of the reasons He saved us was to serve Him. You may have asked yourself this question at some point in life, when God saved me, why didn't He just take me to heaven? I mean, it isn't going to make any difference 10,000 years from now, you understand? I mean, being saved is being saved, and, and uh, why do I need to spend the rest of some mortal existence here when I can just go be with Jesus? Well, the purpose is God has a reason for your life. He has a purpose for you, and He has a purpose for you here. One of our primary purposes is to share the gospel with lost people that need to know Jesus. You tell the world about Jesus. He left us there. In fact, He said in Matthew that we're to be salt and light to a lost world. You say, well, how exactly are we to do that? Well, we're to do it in being surrendered to serve God with our lives, serve Him. The idea of being a servant, Paul really quantified it in the, in the New Testament. He used the Greek word doulos most of the time when he spoke of himself as a servant. So what does that mean? It means to be a slave. It means that when Jesus saved us, he bought us lock, stock, and barrel. He owns us. Now, sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. Not me. I want him to own me. I want him to own everything about me. I'm glad I'm his. But then that carries with it some obligations. Serve God. Be a servant. Do things for the Lord. Do the ministry. Be involved in the ministry. Use your spiritual gifts. Share the gospel. Invite people to come to church. Minister to people. Reach out to them. Help them. Somebody comes up to you and asks you for help, help them. Show them the love of Jesus Christ. It means to serve God. Well, in our passage this morning, uh, we find a man that I think is the epitome of an example of a man who served God. We find a man in this passage who set his heart on God and he would not be deterred. He wouldn't be driven away from serving God no matter his life circumstances. In fact, we find a man who would not bend nor compromise in this passage. We find a man who loved God more than life itself. And it didn't matter what people in the world did around him, he was gonna serve God. Like Joshua, we should Declare boldly, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. doesn't matter what anybody else does. doesn't matter what the rest of the world says. doesn't matter what the majority says. You know the majority is not always right. In fact, they're wrong more and more and more as time goes on, okay? No, Jesus is a majority, and whatever he says is right. In this man, Daniel, we find an example that I think we need to learn from this morning. Daniel did not serve God. Listen to this very carefully now. Daniel didn't serve God when the circumstances were perfect for serving God. He didn't serve God when it was easy to serve God. He didn't serve God when it was, listen, popular to serve God. There was a time in this country when Christianity was chic. It was in, yeah, I'm a Christian. Those days are long gone and rapidly diminishing even more. 
to name the name of Jesus today will get you kicked off Facebook. Name the name of Jesus today will get you kicked off of, off of public sources because the world doesn't want to hear it. To name the name of Jesus today will get you ridiculed, make you maybe even lose your job. They'll tell you when you go to work, check your religion at the door. Well, you can't check Jesus at the door because he lives in you. And you got to walk around with him everywhere you go. So Daniel, listen, Daniel didn't serve God when it was popular. He didn't serve God when it was easy. In fact, what you will see this morning is he was a faithful servant of the Lord when the whole world stood against him. And I mean, literally everybody in his life stood against him. He faithfully served the Lord. Let's take a look at this passage. Uh, probably at the end has one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible of Daniel being put in the lines then. And if we have time, we'll touch on that. But I want to look first at the first three verses. Look at them with me there in your Bible. Now, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps or administrators to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, over those 120, three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would not suffer loss. Then this Daniel, listen to this, distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. The context of this chapter six is interesting. It's set in the fall of a kingdom and the standing up of a new empire. If you go back and read chapter five, at home, that's our homework. Go home and read chapter five. You'll find out that the Babylonian Empire fell and the, and the Medo-Persian Empire conquered them. Now, a little history just to make it interesting. Cyrus the Persian uh, was the king and Belshazzar was the last of the kings in the line of the Babylonians. And you read chapter five, Belshazzar wasn't much of a king. He was just a placeholder and he was an ungodly man and uh, God even told him that very night, you're going to lose your life. But the fact is, uh, the Babylonians lived in this massive city and they thought it impregnable. They had massive walls and, and they had all, and listen, Belshazzar had, had collected enough food and supplies the last years and years and years to wait out a siege and had water. The Euphrates River ran north, south through the city. So he thought, there's no way anybody, As a matter of fact, they were so overconfident and nobody could get in the city, they didn't even set guards. They didn't even set, I mean, there's an army outside your walls trying to get in and you don't even set guards on the walls. That's foolishness, okay? A lot of spiritual connections we can make to that, but we won't take the time. It's foolishness not to set up guards when you know there's danger. So they're having a party, but the Persians weren't gonna go over the wall and they weren't gonna go through the wall. They decided to go under the wall. They went up north of the city and diverted a part of the Euphrates River into a nearby lake thus lowering the water level. And then the soldiers just walked under the wall in the water. In fact, the night, October 12th, 539 BC, the night that the city fell, the Babylonians didn't even know the city had fallen until uh, the soldiers showed up in the king's palace. The city fell without a fight because they weren't paying attention. So it is after that event took place that now the uh, Medo-Persians, if you will, the Persians will eventually become dominant in that, in that coalition. It is now Darius who's assigned to be king over this region of the, of the Persian empire. And his first order of business is to reorder the, reorganize the administration. In other words, set it up so that the government will run efficiently. 
Not sure any government's ever run efficiently, but that's, but that's what his intention was, okay? He wanted to set it up so that the king would not suffer loss. So he, he did a very logical, hierarchical thing. He put 120 uh, administrators over regions of the empire, and then he set up three governors over them, of which Daniel was one, so the 120, and if you do the math, 40 administrators per governor, perhaps the 40 would report to one of the governors who would then report to the king, and it was for all the administration of the kingdom, I'm sure finances and the business of the kingdom, so that the king would not suffer loss, the government would have its money and have all the function that's going on. So Daniel moves from the Babylonian kingdom to the Persian kingdom. Now, in case you don't know Daniel's position in the Babylonian kingdom, let me, let me just give you a little background real quick and it will help you understand uh, why Daniel stands out in this case. Daniel had served under Nebuchadnezzar for nearly 40 years. Daniel was maybe 16, 17 years old when he was taken captive to Babylon. He spent his entire life there in Babylon. And you'll remember that early on in Nebuchadnezzar's reign, God used Daniel to interpret some dreams and Nebuchadnezzar made him the second in the kingdom. So what I'm saying is Daniel had a lot of administrative experience. The guy had been running the kingdom for 40 years under the Babylonians. And then when he retired, you read chapter five, Belshazzar's uh, you know, the young guy who lost his mind, he's in there using God's utensils out of the temple to drink and have a party out of, and the hand shows up and writes on the wall and scares him. And they called Daniel out of retirement, this sage older gentleman, probably near in his 80s by now. He's in retirement. He comes in and they ask him, well, I remember my granddad. He said, you know anything about dreams, so can you tell me the writing on the wall? And Daniel said, yeah, I'd be glad to. God's weighed you in the balance, and you've been found wanting and tonight he's going to require your soul. So Daniel called out of retirement. Now, you would think when the new kingdom comes in, they capture the city, why didn't they kill Daniel? How is it he ends up being, uh, from one kingdom to the next, how is it ends up he ends up being a governor, one of the three top men in the kingdom? Well, I think his reputation preceded him is what I think. I think when he got there, there are two things, and one of them is mentioned in this text. Number one, they knew about the prophecies. They heard about this wise older gentleman who had been around a long time, who knew about the kingdom. And the king said, man, he foretold the fact that we were gonna take the kingdom tonight. He could be valuable, we need to hang on to him. Secondly, it says right here that the king recognized in Daniel an excellent spirit. Where do you think that came from? Well, now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't permanently indwell people. But I'm just taking a wild stab in the dark here. Daniel was a godly man, Holy Spirit. He was probably full of the Holy Spirit. What do you think? And so I think when the king met Daniel, he said, man, there's something different about that guy. Not only does he have a reputation of, of having been an administrator, and uh, he knows something about prophecy because he, he said we were going to take the kingdom, and we did. But there's just something different about that guy. When you talk to him, there's just wisdom there and there's, and there's, there's an excellent spirit about him. He's, a, he's the kind of man we can trust. He's the kind of man that we need, we need in our government leading our administration. I thought about Daniel and I thought about us today as servants of the Lord. I would suggest to you that the world desperately needs men and women with an excellent spirit. I would suggest to you that the halls of our government desperately needs men and women with an excellent spirit. Not a selfish spirit, not a prideful spirit, not a self-serving spirit, not arrogance, 
narcissism, and any other words I can think of that are contrary to what the Bible says a person ought to be. We, the servants of the Lord, we who are saved, should be men and women who permeate society with an excellent spirit. When people meet us, they might not even know us, but they should meet us and say, man, there's, there's something different about that guy. Don't know what it is. I mean, lost people don't know what it is. No matter they meet you in the shopping center and say, man, that lady, there's something different about her. There's something different about the way, about the way he or she responds, reacts. Man, I am convicted about this terribly all the time. My, my patience for things in life is about that long. I mean, really. And, and the older I get, I think the shorter it gets because I, I have less patience for nonsense. And I'm, I'm confessing, okay? Turn your collar around, I'm confessing to you, okay? I'm, uh, I'm telling you. My patience is just not very long. And sometimes in the, public, in the public interaction that we have with people, it's easy to get aggravated with them, isn't it? I was, on, I was on the phone with somebody recently. They didn't do their job. There's a shock, okay? And the, and, and, and this, the paperwork's gone, like, poof, vanished into, into thin air. You know, you, you, know, you, you go through the, you, you know, the, the phone tag 15 people later, and they go, oh, yeah, okay, we found your stuff. Oh, it's a miracle. Okay. You know, you don't, you, and you try not to be... Um, you try not to show your aggravation, right? Uh, but man, I just have had all I could take and my excellent spirit was gone. I mean, I, it, it was. And, and, the, and, the, and the guy tells me, goes, oh, in the, in the happiest tone, like he had done something great, you know, and this paperwork, by the way, is six weeks late. So we're not talking about yesterday or it's a day or it's six weeks, right? And they don't have, still don't have a clue what they're doing. And so I, the guy tells me, oh, well, here's what happened. And he starts playing. And when he gets all done, I go, that's just not very efficient, is it? And there's this long silence on the phone. He goes, well, no, I guess not. What in the world? But God's called us, listen, God's called us to be men and women of excellent spirit. And you know how we do that? Same way Daniel did it, by letting the Holy Spirit interact with people instead of us. By letting the Holy Spirit be, be what they see first and not me, okay? Because the flesh will never be an excellent spirit, okay? And Daniel, though, think about Daniel. Now, and think about the, the, the magnitude of it. Daniel has been in captivity his entire life. I think that would give me a bad attitude. Just being real. Captivity his entire life. He, he loves Jerusalem. He prays towards Jerusalem three times a day. He, he ain't going back there. He knows he's going to die. And yet he's got an excellent spirit. How do you do that? You do that by walking with Jesus. You do that by allowing the Holy Spirit to create in us the image of Christ. So Darius sees in this man, Daniel, he sees in him experience, and he sees in him excellence and integrity and honesty and a man that's useful, and he sees in him an excellent spirit. God's hand on Daniel. We, listen, we need to be that way in the world. In fact, I would suggest to you that wherever we work, we need to be the best employee on the payroll. The, the boss needs to know, man, I can trust him or her. I can trust them with business, with, with company stuff. I can trust them with the business. They work hard. They don't cheat. They don't, they don't, they don't mess with the books here. 
They are honest as the day is long, and we can trust them. That's the testimony Christians ought to have in the midst of a lost world. We don't have to compromise our faith to do that. We just have to be men and women of God. And don't make any apology for your faith. Just tell them, look, I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed of it, and I'm going to live out my faith, but you can trust me to do the best job that can be done here. Why? Because I'm serving Jesus, and I ain't serving you. That's why you're motivated to do that. So Daniel was that kind of man. Now, you know it can't go good for long, right? I mean, Daniel's got this job, and uh, he's a Hebrew, and there are two other governors who are his peers, and they're up to the king, and apparently these other two guys are jealous of Daniel. And envy is an ugly sin. Envy, envy is an ugly sin where someone's jealous or envious of what another person has and not happy with what they have, and that's an ugly sin that's very pervasive in our society today, jealousy and envy. So apparently these two other governors get in with some of the other uh, administrators and they plot a plan against, against Daniel because they don't like him. Look at verses four and five. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Verse five, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, what's, what's the deal here? Well, these guys are doing what the old Roman philosopher Pliny said one time. He said, it is the custom of courtiers to study how to make innocent men faulty. In other words, their, their, their purpose was to, to find some fault in Daniel, even though there was none, and even to create one if they could, because they want to get him fired. They want him replaced. They don't want him in that position. In other words, they want his prestige. They just want to remove him. And so they're looking for any reason for treason or dishonesty or some disparity and uh, in impropriety in the way he does business. They're looking in his life and digging in his business. Now, again, that's an uncomfortable thing. You know Daniel knew they didn't like him. I mean, he's, he's a pretty sharp fellow. He's probably figuring out they don't like him, and he knows they're digging around in his business. They're going behind him and checking the books and making sure all the, all the money's accounted for and all the things are done. But listen, they couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. Why? Because he lived in God above even the appearance of impropriety. He lived a life to honor God. Now, what an example for us. Boy, you know what I hear today in Christianity? I hear Christians telling me all the time the things they can do and it's legal rather than considering what God wants them to do for their testimony purposes. In other words, they'll come to me and say, well, pastor, you know, the Bible don't say don't drink. Oh, I know that. So I can drink. Well, if you think you can, knock yourself out. But you know what? Don't let your kids, your teenagers, see you drinking and then try to tell them to stay away from drugs. So help yourself. And don't, and don't, don't get in with alcohol and get in with a crowd that runs drinking all the time and think then you're going to have a testimony to tell your drinking boss that he ought to get saved because you're not going to be able to. See, it isn't, it isn't about legalism. Paul said, listen, the apostle Paul said, I bring myself into subjection and I bring myself under control like a, like a, a boxer or a sports person who's boxing and training themselves. 
And Paul went one time and he said, look, it's perfectly okay for me to eat meat offered to idols because it's nothing. Idols are nothing and, and, and God doesn't care. But if it offends my brother, he said, I'll never eat meat again. So what, are, what do we learn from that? What do we learn from Daniel? That serving Jesus Christ and being a servant of the Lord isn't about what I want, it's about what he wants. It isn't about what I think is going to make me happy or fulfill me. It's about living my life and bringing myself under subjection to him so that I can do what he's called me to do. I have a pet peeve with drinking because my older brother died a drunk. It'll kill you. If it don't kill you, it'll ruin everything in your life. So why would you mess with it? Why would you even drink it? I tell young people all the time, oh, I'm going to take some drugs and feel good. Yeah, and one of these days you're going to take the drugs and die because you don't even know what it is you're taking. So why would you do that? Why would you hurt yourself? Not to mention losing your testimony for the Lord. Now, we could do this long list all day long, but we won't. The point is this. Daniel lived a life of 80 years probably, 50 years in, in service, 60 years in service to these these guys who had him captive, and they could find nothing wrong in his life. That's amazing. I mean, and they dug. They were checking his internet browser. They were checking everything, man. They were, they were, man, they were checking Daniel out, all right? Makes me kind of wonder, what if a bunch of people start digging into our lives? Find some skeletons in the closet? You say, you can open any door, don't open that one. Like Jack in the Box, you don't know what's going to pop out of there, don't open that door. I mean, they dug in his finances. They dug in his personal life. They dug in everything. They could find nothing wrong. You know, Daniel was living out what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 17. Listen to this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Listen, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, give a defense of your faith humbly with respect to God and respect to them. Verse 16, having a good conscience, watch, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In other words, Peter said, live a life so that if somebody starts digging around like they did for Daniel, looking for a reason to accuse you, they'd be ashamed because your life is so squared away in Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean they aren't gonna persecute you, it just means they can't find anything to throw against you. Well, that's what happened to these guys right here. So you know what they figured out? We're going to have to make up something. We're going to have to do something to trap Daniel. And, and listen, they knew that the only thing Daniel would not compromise on was his God. And so they said, we have to create a law that we know Daniel will break because he'll obey his God rather than the law. And that's what they set about to do. Look at verses six to nine. So these governors and satraps strong before the king that means they come running in in a hurry. It means that it's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, treated as a really important issue to deal with. And they said to us to him, King Darius, live forever. Verse 7, all the governors of the kingdom, pause right there. I doubt very seriously all 120 are in on this. But they say, all, they, they're presenting it to the king like, man, this is a unanimous vote. This is what we need to do. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors, advisors have counseled together, consulted together to establish a royal statute to make firm decree that whoever petitions any God or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. 
Verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, the king, or king Darius signed uh, the written decree. Now, when you first read that, you think, what, is he crazy? I mean, it, the guys just come in and go, hey, let's make a law that everybody's got to pray to you for 30 days. Sure thing, man, let, let me sign off on that. No, it's a little more, it's a little more than that. When you, when you read history, you find that religious beliefs are among the most divisive among humanity. Not only are they the most divisive, but they are the most volatile, meaning people will fight over religious things pretty much faster than they'll fight over just about anything else. It was not unusual, particularly in a city like Babylon and in a kingdom now like the Medo-Persians where there would be a great diversity of pagan deities. There would be many. And the peoples who have been conquered, like the Hebrews, have their own deities and they bring them with them. Well, when, think about it, if one group is out saying rah, rah, rah for Baal and the other group's out rah, rah, rah for Molech or whoever their deity might be, it was easy for confrontations to begin and riots and, and frenzies to begin in the city. The Romans, by the way, when you read the New Testament, every time Jesus was around and Paul was around and there were these big crowds, the Roman soldiers would show up. Why? For the exact same reason. They didn't want a riot or a fighting over the difference between Paul's teaching, Jesus' teaching. or To the Romans, it was a political issue. That's what I'm telling you. So the way they presented this to Darius was, look, you know, we just took over this kingdom and there's every kind of religious thing here. Uh, it would be politically expedient for us to just make a law for 30 days to get everybody on the same page and say, if they're going to pray to their deity, they come through you. In other words, they got to go through the head of the government. We're going to tie their religion to the government. And that way we're going to build some unity here. We'll keep the peace. There won't be any, any. And I'm sure that's the way they presented it to him. Not, not in this, hey, let's make you a god. Although many pagan uh, kings would also often connect themselves to deity. But the fact is they, they, they presented this thing to him with political expediency. Now listen to me very carefully right here. That is exactly how persecution of Christianity will increase in this country. It will be done based on political expediency. In other words, there will eventually be laws passed and they're already... They've already been recommended. They just haven't had enough people to approve them yet. That will specifically make illegal for even Christians to say things they don't want us to say. To condemn sinful conduct that they don't want us to condemn. To call out wrong that they don't want called wrong. And for political expediency, what will happen, and it's already happening, they will say, well, we're going to pass this law, and even though it's your faith, it's best for everybody else that you not say that, so we're going to make it illegal for you to say that. They're going to decide that, look, it's best for the majority of people that you are not allowed to say what you want to say. It's coming. We got a little bit of it in the COVID deal, right? I mean, look, it's best for everybody if you Christians don't meet. Time out. Time out. Why don't we, I get it, it's real, let's take precautions, masks, spread seats out, you know, everything we did. But at some point, we have to say as Christians, look, 
You run the government, and you let us, you let us walk with Jesus, okay? You run the government, and you let me decide if I want to talk to Bill or not, if he's going to give me COVID. You let me decide that, all right? You don't, you don't need to tell me that I can't talk to Bill or I can't. You understand what I'm saying, okay? That's what these guys are doing. They go into the king and say, look, it's best for everybody if everybody just has to pray through you for 30 days so that, so that we can have everybody together and, and, and we can bring peace. Secondly, you think, well, would Darius really take the place of God? Would he really put himself in? I'm sure he was flattered. I'm sure he was flattered when they came to him and said, man, we have this great idea. You're such a good king. Why don't we just let everybody pray through you and, you know, and we'll, we'll tile the religion together. Uh, and I'm sure that made him feel good. Darius wasn't trying to be deity here. I think the political expediency of it was what really moved him to sign it. Listen, without thinking, which here's a warning, you ready? If you're asleep, wake up, here it is. This is important. Here's a warning. Anytime you make a decision where there's pride involved, you're not making a decision, okay? Because pride will always lead you to make a wrong decision. If you're feeling pride or, you, or you're feeling exalted about yourself and you're about to make a decision connected to how you feel about yourself, why don't you wait until you don't feel like that about yourself, all right? Because pride will always lead us to make a bad decision. He made a bad decision that he will come to regret here in just a moment. He made a bad decision. So he signs this thing in the law and says, nobody can pray for 30 days, anybody but the king, and all your worship's got to go through the king. Well, now what does Daniel do? Because what does Daniel do as a good Jew, as a faithful Jew? Goes to his house every day, morning, noon, and afternoon, three times a day, and he prays towards Jerusalem, right? Daniel's got a prayer life, and he prays every day. Been praying every day for 80 years. Well, I'm not sure he was praying right after he was born, but you, know, you get it, 60 years, 65 years, Daniel's been praying. Well, look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew exactly what was going on. He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Let me show you three or four things about this, about Daniel's as a servant as we finish this. Number one, he knew about the law. Daniel knew those guys were jealous of him. He knew they were plotting. He knew they'd been digging into his business, but he didn't retaliate. You say, why didn't he retaliate? Now listen, it's perfectly okay to defend yourself against wrong, to stand up and go, that's wrong because God said it's wrong. And I'm sure Daniel wasn't completely just hands off in this thing, but you understand he didn't get all, he didn't get all crazy about it. Because you know what Daniel knew? God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and God's going to take care of the rest. So he knew about it. And then secondly, his response was not to be, not to obtrude with his faith. And obtrude means not to be overly, uh, overly anxious about his faith. He didn't go out just because this law had been signed. He didn't make his prayer time in the middle of the city square. He didn't go down on the side of the street and do his prayer time. He, listen, he continued his normal activity of life. He continued to walk with Jesus like he'd done every day before that and like he was going to do every day after that. He went up to his room and he prayed like he did every day. He just continued in his faith. Can I say to you that as 
society moves to be more and more against Christianity, can I encourage you, just do what you do for Jesus. Don't have to make a scene about it. Don't have to call up the news and say, come on down here, we're gonna meet out front. Won't you take it on the camera? No, just, just live for Jesus. Just pray like you always pray. Meet like you always meet and let God deal with it. Because society's gonna do what society does. Just live for Jesus. So Daniel knew about the law. He continued normally. Uh, number three, he wasn't obnoxious about his faith, but neither did he hide it. He wasn't ashamed of it. He went up in his room and he knelt down and he prayed. And when it says his windows were open, they were lattice windows. He opened them and sure enough, those men were watching. Now watch this. Daniel had to make a choice. Same choice we're gonna be faced with should we live long enough and Jesus tears is coming. We're gonna be faced to make a choice between man's law and God's law. The law was you can't pray. God said pray. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, Paul said pray without ceasing, pray all the time. Pray in public, pray in private, pray together in the church, pray. So if the, if the government today were to make a law that says you can't pray, then we have to decide, don't we? Do I obey man or do I obey God? Well, you know, in Acts chapter five, Peter had the same experience, remember? Peter's preaching the gospel, and we're gonna hurry, listen. He's preaching the gospel. The Sanhedrin court, the highest court in the land, calls him in and says, you guys gotta stop preaching. And you gotta stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Peter says, man, that's a problem. Because you see, Jesus is Lord, and he's my savior. And he said, I gotta take the gospel to the whole world, and I just got started. And so now I got a problem. I either got to obey man or I've got to obey God. And you know what? I'm going to obey God. You choose what you're going to do. That's the same decision you and I will, be, or will have to face one day. You want me to tell you how to make the right decision? You ready? Here it is. Decide now. Decide now before we get there. Daniel was decided long before he got there what he was going to do. Decide today that you're going to live for Jesus no matter what. So when you get there, the Holy Spirit will help you and you'll make the right decision. Let me tell you the rest of the story. We're, we're over time, let me tell you. You know the story. This man's Sunday school, this is a great story. The, the king, he don't want to kill Daniel. He loves Daniel. He, man, he's thinking about putting Daniel in charge of the whole kingdom. He says, how can I kill my best man? So he wants to save Daniel. He tries everything he can do, and the, those men say, no, the law of the Medes and Persians is unchangeable. You can't, you can't, he's got to go to the lion's den. So they throw him in there. And the king says to Daniel while they're putting him in there, so man, maybe, you know, maybe your God that you serve will keep, take care of you. Hope so anyway. So then the king, he don't sleep all night, right? He's, it, uh, he's sleepless night, he's up. And, and early in the morning, he goes over there and he's standing outside the, the stone that they put in front of this lion's den. And apparently there was a pit and a way to get in the side somehow because they had a stone and a pit. So the king's standing outside the stone. He don't think Daniel's alive. And he starts, you know, oh, Daniel, you know, was your God. And Daniel answers him from the inside. I'm sure he was shocked. I'm, I'm sure he was like, Daniel, is that you? So, oh yeah, King, I had a good night's rest. How about you? <laughs> well, no. And then, you know, and so he opens the thing and Daniel comes out and Daniel's, Daniel then testifies to the king, well, the God whom I serve, he sent an angel. An angel closed the, mouth, closed the mouths of the lions and they didn't harm me. Well, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of like the three Hebrews that were in the fiery furnace, Jesus walking around in there with him. Maybe Jesus was in there with Daniel. Maybe the pre-incarnate Christ is in there with Daniel, going, Daniel, don't worry about these lions. Just a bunch of big cats here. You can pet them on the head. They're not going to hurt you. 
You say, well, man, was that really the power of God? Maybe the lions weren't hungry. Oh, no. No, 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 because the king then, then King Darius said, hey, where's all them rascals that, that did this in the first place? Bring them in here and watch this. This was bad. Bring their wives and their kids. And the guys who wrote the law, they threw them in there with their wives and their kids. And the Bible says before they hit the bottom of the pit, the lions had already crushed them. The end, of the, end of the end of the story is this. The faithfulness of Daniel as a servant of God is a tremendous example to us. And it's going to be even more important as time goes on that we be like Daniel, that there be no compromise. No compromise. And, and, and like I said a moment ago, when do you decide that? You decide that today. You decide it right now. Not later. Not when the trouble comes. But you decide now, God, with your help, I'm not bending, and I'm going to walk with you. We do it, listen, we do it with meekness, not with arrogance. We do it with meekness and with fear, but we stand strong. You say, how can I do that? Well, number one, you got to be saved. And I pray everybody here is saved today. If you're not saved, those people watching online, those will be watching this video. Listen, we've had people get saved on the video. If you're watching, we had a lady in Oregon get saved. Listen, you can pray to receive Jesus today. You say, well, how do I get saved? The Bible said Jesus died on the cross, paid for our sins, and we're sinners. And, and the way we're saved is we come to Jesus by faith. We confess our sin to him, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save me. And he'll save you. He'll forgive your sin. He'll give you eternal life. Then the Holy Spirit will live in you, and you can be a servant of the king like Daniel. If you need Jesus this morning, would you invite him in? If you, hey, listen, this will make you check the closets in your house, metaphorically, right? Be, be, be a man or woman of integrity, okay? Because the world might come looking one day. Uh, let them find nothing, right? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this passage, for this story of the life of Daniel, for his testimony. God, uh, thousands of years, and we're still encouraged by his testimony. God, today, today, help us as men and women of God to, to search our own hearts, God, and, and be that man or woman you want us to be. Help us to serve you, God, without reservation, without, without any limits, to be that doulos kind of servant that Paul speaks of. Lord, if there's somebody under the hearing of your word who needs Jesus today, I pray they would, I pray they would come to Christ right now, humble their heart, surrender themselves, and ask you to save them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand. If I can pray with you or help you as we sing a song, I'll be right down front. You come.